Oh. Kimmy, Kim, why don't you do something? Oh. Susie. No tricks, no treats. Scary monsters. Super creeps. Keep me running. Trick or treat? What does that mean? It means you give us some cash. No sweets, no credit cards. Why? Because it's the end of October. Trick or treat, trick or treat, the bitter and the sweet. Trick or treat, trick or treat, the bitter and the sweet. <laughs> It's spooktober and the horror films are playing, chocolate and candy are on the shelves ready for trick-or-treaters and the ghosts and ghouls and demons are prepping for their big day. On Merry Britsmas, I'm mashing up the holidays with some kind of Halloween-esque links to some British Christmas things. We're going to check out a creepy night of mothers around Christmas time, a horrifying trip to a village of local, unusual people, and some novelty Christmas songs that may send you running for the hills. One of the creepiest ever comedies to air on television is surely The League of Gentlemen, a show that featured Mark Gattis, Reese Shearsmith and Steve Pemberton, alongside writer Jeremy Dyson as The League. Previously, a comedy troupe who met and started their career at theatre school in 1995. Their characters and sketches started on the stage, then went to a BBC radio show in 1997. The jump to TV came in 99, and it developed a cult following for the weird stories of Royston Vasey, a rural village populated by characters played by the three comedians in makeup and prosthetics. From the threatening shop owner husband and wife Edward and Tubbs, to the sinister butcher Hilary Briss. Each episode follows little stories and insights into their lives, with some sketches continuing over multiple episodes, and others being strange one-offs. The show was on for three seasons with a Christmas special and a film following later in 2005. There was also touring stage shows, and a brief revival of three special episodes in 2017 for the 20th anniversary. The Christmas special led between series 2 and 3 on December 27, 2000, titled You'll Never Leave, with Yule of course spelt Y-U-L-E. The episode is framed as three stories, but starts with a point of view of someone walking through a snowy graveyard with a slightly creepy God rest ye merry gentleman playing, as someone pees on a grave and throws a snowball at a passing Santa, and it turns out it's the church vicar Bernice, played by Reese Shearsmith. Steve Pemberton's working class husband character Charlie Hull arrives and tells the vicar of his strange dreams about his wife Stella, and starts by talking about them putting up the decorations. Your mum's just upset, Julie, because I'm going line dancing tonight. He's not, Julie. He is, Julie. When's he coming home, ask him? When he's ready, tell her. But what about the tree? We always put the tree up as a family, don't we, Julie? Oh, we're not putting that up again. We've had it ten years. So what's a good tree, is that, ain't it, Julie? It's all shriveled up and the baubles have dropped off. Julie doesn't want to hear about your personal problems. Oh, that's it. I'm going. Stella gets advice from her friend Donna to go see a secretive masked group who can help their marriage troubles. Have you ever heard of these people? Solutions? They help me and Arlie when we have problems. You and Lee? 
Yeah, he admitted he'd been unfaithful to me. We're all right now. Hang on, is this anything to do with hypnotism? Because Polly that works for me once volunteered on her head now and she's still not recovered. Every time she hears Neil Sadaka, she has to eat an onion as if it's an apple. Just ring them. You'll be very surprised at what they can do. Mm. We think that we can help you, Mrs Howe. But first, you must bring us three things. A lock of his hair. A photographic likeness of his face. An item he uses every day. A bag of That will not be necessary. Three items will suffice. Hang on, let me get a pen. Here. Oh, right, thanks. And I want it back. After gathering the items, we see a group with a voodoo doll of Charlie as he starts the competitive line dance routine, which leads to falling and burning. <laughs> You do in river This puts a stop to the dancing, but we see Stella having an affair with Donna's husband Lee, and then she confronts the pair and kills him with Charlie's razor, claiming this would be the price she'd have to pay. Oh, someone help! Oh, Lee, you're bleeding! Help! Donna! Problem solved, Stella. What's this? This is the price. Help! Help! She's mad at me, Anton! Help! And it's just the same bloody dream, night after night. Back in the church, Bernice gives some rubbish advice and reveals a glimpse of her own childhood trauma. What about my dream? Oh, that? Well, let me ask you two questions. Charlie, in your heart of hearts, do you love your wife? No. Okay, second, have you been eating any cheese-based meals recently? A couple or three pizzas. Yeah, well, I think you'll find the whole thing is nothing but a cheese dream. Hey? A cheese dream, a dream brought about by eating cheese. But, Reverend, you don't understand. I feel so alone. Oh, I've been on my own since I was an eight-year-old Ben. <laughs> there was a Christmas to remember. A second visitor arrives, an old bearded man who reveals he has seen strange things. Flashing back to Germany 1975, where he is an exchange visit teenager staying with Herr Lip, a German choir master who often seems to say inappropriate things, and his stern and large German wife. Herr Lip. Ja, das stimmt. Ah, you must be the boy from England, nein? Matthew Parker. Yeah, Matthew, genau so. Here, let me hold your sack. Oh, you are so cold, you have goose steps all over. Come, meet your boyfriends. <laughs> everybody, this is Matthew Parker. Matthew Parker, this is everybody. Hi. Matthew is going to be singing some traditional English Christmas carons in our little concertina, nicht wahr? We see a secret spy hole in the wall and creepy dolls where Matthew is staying, along with strange dreams in the night. that. 
Matthew. <laughs> he then finds strange marks on his neck and asks the wife about it all. You know your husband? Obviously you know your husband, but um, I was wondering, is he a vampire? <laughs> it stood me like he spoke a kind English. It's just that he's bitten me once already, and I think if you don't help English me, those poison men might be in danger. Like you know, blood, pains. You're welcome. <gasps> so you do understand me. Leave with respect tonight. So I'm right, then he is one. He spoke a kind English. It stood me light. He confronts Harelip in the church with a mirror to prove the claim, but it only reveals the choir boys and the wife are all vampires. Look what you did to me! No, I would never suck on a first date. You're a vampire! What? You're a vampire! And I'm gonna prove it to everyone! You could never give me boys, Wolf. So I had to provide my own. Okay, boys. This is no longer a rehearsal. Enjoy this performance, Wolf. It will be your last. And we cut back to the vicar again, revealing that a strange Santa took her mother when she was a child. Well, you think you're the only person that's ever had a Christmas? You've no idea. I lost my mother at Christmas. Now, if you don't mind, I'd, I'd quite like to be alone. Thank you very much, Vicar. You've been most kind. I'll show myself out. And then the final visitor, Mr. Chinnery, arrives to reveal why. In the whole series, every animal he seems to care for dies horribly, telling of his great-grandfather, a brilliant vet. Three cheers for Mr. Chinnery, Prince of Vets. Hip, hip. Huzzah! Hip, hip. Huzzah! Hip, hip. He is sent away for a practice in the north in a town called Royston Vasey. A position has come up in a good, solid practice, purblind, Boothby and Canker. But sir, I was intending to set up practice myself. I have some small acquaintance with the partners and I'm prepared to put in a word for you. Well, I... Splendid. You'll leave tomorrow. I was hoping to spend Christmas with my family. I hardly need say, Chinnery, that we at the university would take a very dim view of any refusal. Not to mention the matter of your fellowship. And he gets a warning from his new employer about somebody called Mr. Purblind. I can offer you a hundred a year, food, lodging, and unlimited use of a bicycle. What do you say? I'd be delighted, sir. Capital! I think we'll get along very well. There is only one other matter. My senior partner, Mr. Purblind, is an invalid. He occupies the last room on the third floor. He never stirs from his bed from dawn till dusk. Safe to go for a wee. You wish me to visit him? On no account! Mr. Purblind is a very sick man. The slightest disturbance is abhorrent to him. Do you hear me? Yes, sir. 
Of course, he goes in anyway after hearing strange noises to find out something strange about Purblind. I was a young and handsome fellow. When? A long time ago. Well, we all have to get old. I'm trying to say that I'm old beyond my years. My life has been blighted, twisted out of shape. By the forces of darkness. I see. Once, I was chief veterinary surgeon in the Indian province of Karitpur. He reveals he accidentally mixed things up when trying to help a Maharaja's monkey. I assured the anxious Maharaja that the little fellow's little fellow could be freed by the simple application of ordinary Vaseline. I reached into my bag for the jar and the spatula and applied a smear of the substance to the root of the monkey's genital cluster. What was the cloud issuing from the monkey's hips? And then prompts the vet to touch the monkey's delicate parts for a specific reason. The Maharaja vowed vengeance. He picked up Topoff's steaming jewels and holding them aloft, called upon his gods. Topoff's parts. Touch them. What? Touch them and see. No. No, I. I mustn't. Feel them. Feel the knackers. I'm free! I'm free at last! Free? Free to do what? Free to practice veterinary medicine. Free to give a gerbil an enema. I don't understand. Sorry. Is it over, Magnus? Is the curse lifted? Curse? What curse? The Maharaja's curse. Any animal that I touched would meet a dreadful end. A vile and terrible curse. And to be honest, absolute professional death for a vet. He, of course, thinks it's nonsense until back in London, treating a pet rabbit turns into a bloodbath. Just around here. <laughs> <laughs> And Bernice tries to calm the present-day cursed Mr. Chinnery. I've learned a lot of things tonight about people, about myself, about the nature of fear. And it's all up here. It's all in your mind. Whatever's happened in the past, it's over and done. It's up to us all to face the future. But the curse... There's no such thing as a curse, lad. Now, do you have any more cases pending? Well... There's Mr. Sykes's prize stallion, a testicular torsion, I... Well, get out there and do not those nuts. You can do it. And now, joyous Bernice sees the Father Christmas from early of his back and tries to apologise. Oh, thank the Lord. I was hoping to see you again. I'm sorry about the snowfall before. I was in a bit of a mood, but I'm happy now. Hello, Dave. I'm sorry? Is that Dave? Oh, God! It's nice to see you again, Dave. How oh, 
but it's Papa Lazarou, a strange woman-stealing thing from the series, who is revealed as stealing her mum years back, and now her, ending the episode with his famous catchphrase. What a weird and wonderful show. I love this series and special, but I know it's not for everyone. It's creepy and surreal, and the three actors, Gattis, Shearsmith and Pemberton, are simply amazing. They craft such well-realised characters that embody horrible aspects of humanity, but make it amusing. The whole series is worth your time, and I've also covered Inside Number 9 on the podcast before, which is made by Shearsmith and Pemberton. There's also a great series called Psychoville that has a wonderful Halloween episode I'd like to cover one day. So for now, avoid any small local villages for local people this Halloween, just in case you get pulled into a voodoo cult, a vampiric choir, or a bloody curse. This holiday season, experience the joy of re-watching the same TV specials you watch every year in podcast form. It's the Advent Calendar House, a salute to all holiday specials, but mostly the Christmas ones. Count down to Christmas Eve with a new episode every other day in December about a different holiday show, from the must-watch classics to the lost treasures at the bottom of the DVD bargain bin. Learn the answers to questions nobody asked, like, when is a magic hat you throw away no longer yours? How many Muppets can fit inside a farmhouse? How did cavemen know about Christmas? Why is Elf making me cry? Subscribe now at adventcalendar.house and get 12 episodes every December. But that's not all. You'll also get 12 more episodes during Christmas in July. Why am I talking like a car salesman? It's a free podcast. It's the Advent Calendar House, a podcast on the internet. It's the Advent Calendar House. Last year, I shared an excerpt from a zine I found called Hellbore, which was a Yuletide special. Last year I discussed the strange myth of cold Christmas, an old church with haunted mythology. And this year I'm taking another section to discuss the odd idea of the Night of the Mothers. This was written by John Repian, who's also a graphic novelist who's worked on comics about Doctor Who, Sherlock Holmes and Dracula. In the zine, he tells of an ancient pagan celebration recorded in the year 725 by a Benedictine monk called Saint Bede. This celebration took place on what we now call Christmas Eve. He wrote they used to call the evening by the heathen word Modronect, that is Mother's Night. But what is this strange ceremony on a bleak winter's night? Christianity was fairly new in the UK at this time, just over a hundred years old in terms of its widespread use. Older pagan beliefs were literally and metaphorically smashed or decried. But things remained, and the mothers may have been one of them. Archaeologists have discovered more than a thousand depictions of three goddesses across northwestern Europe, called the Matras, or Mothers. For example, a stone buried beneath a Roman road in Preston had carvings on it of three identical figures, simply carved, wearing dresses. It showed three dancing women with arms raised. In 1831, gravediggers in Ancaster, Lincolnshire, found a Roman-era shrine with a statue of three women, side by side, wearing long dresses, which became known as the Ancaster Mother Goddesses. Other altars and objects have shown more than three goddesses, but always in multiples of three, as Shakespeare put it in Macbeth with the weird sisters, thrice to thine and thrice to mine, thrice again to make up nine. Many scholars believe there's some connection with the three goddesses and the depiction of the fates, three women who span the destiny of mortals in ancient Greece. There's also the Norns of Norse mythology and the Parsi of ancient Rome. Celtic folklore has the midnight washerwomen, three sisters who wash the shrouds of those to die in the river. Always three women, three mothers, always linked to death. 
Bede gives no indication of the specific events of this Night of the Mothers. Perhaps there may be some sun-like worship connected to the winter solstice not long past. Other scholars believe there may be some connection with the Scandinavian Disablot, an ancient celebration for the Desir. On a winter's night, a sacrifice would honour these female ancestral guardian spirits. The horg, or the altar, would be reddened with blood for a sacrifice before a great feast and drinking. But in truth, we cannot hope to completely accurately know what strange events happened on the night of the mother on Christmas Eve all those years ago. A thousand years of history and disinformation from the Christian church blocks our knowledge. Perhaps we can only hope to consider the idea of mothers and family and feasting and drinking has continued at this time of year. Perhaps their reach continues, and the night of the mother isn't completely gone from our lives. Maybe minus a sacrifice or two. With it being a spooky month, it's time for some frightening songs. And there's not much more frightening than a terrible Christmas song from some pop artists that shouldn't really be making music. Sometimes an artist hits the charts because of their appearance on a reality TV show or a famous relative and it makes you want to run screaming down the street and throw your speakers into a volcano. Well, I'm sorry, but you may have to hunker down for these. Let's begin with reality TV horror as we meet the cheeky girls. Anyone from the UK will know who I'm talking about, but anyone else, as well as being lucky, may not know of this devilish duo. The Cheeky Girls are identical twin sisters who are actually Romanian, but I claim them as British from their appearance on a British music talent show called Popstars The Rivals. The judges were speechless and of course rejected them, but record labels jumped on the potential of twin sisters singing about touching bums to offer them a record deal for the song, which actually got to number two in the charts in December 2002. However, it was voted as the worst pop record of all time in the Channel 4 poll in 2004. Despite the novelty, they stuck around with two more singles making the top 10 in 2003, with Take Your Shoes Off and It's a Cheeky Holiday, both from their debut album, imaginatively titled Party Time. Their pièce de la résistance came in 2004 on 8th of December with Have a Cheeky Christmas. The single reached number 10, the last of their songs to break into the top 10, or top 28 for that matter. Quite how two girls who can't really sing that well managed to make it this long in the industry is kind of baffling, but it did happen. The video features the girls on an appropriately cheap snowy set with a dancing snowman, wearing matching Mrs. Claus style outfits revealing enough to be shown on daytime music TV. 
I'll put the link in the info bit of the podcast. We're moving away from reality TV, but it's not getting much better as we focus on celebrity children using their parents' good name to try and do something artistic. I grew up watching lots of football and knew David Beckham was a stellar footballer even if he played for Man United, the pure evil rivals of the best team in the world, Arsenal. But I respected his game and his skill. Similarly, as a kid, I may have mocked the Spice Girls publicly, but I knew they put out some pop bangers and Posh Spice was pretty attractive. So most of us know they married to become a powerhouse couple and had a bunch of kids. Brooklyn Beckham is probably the most well known of the brood, having delved into modelling and photography and apparently now cooking. But he didn't release a Christmas song. His little brother, Cruz Beckham, did in 2016 called If Every Day Was Christmas. completely trash this song because he was only 11 and it was for charity, Make Some Noise, who support getting young disadvantaged people into music. But it's not a good pop song and any time a celebrity kid does something like this it makes my toes curl a little. Apparently he's been working with Rita Ora on launching a music career now he's a little older so maybe a new Christmas song will be on the way. And finally let's flash back to flash in the pan fast food rockers. This band were a bubblegum pop trio from Folkestone who hit some sort of fame with the fast food song. Well, they were right, as the album didn't do well enough to warrant a second. But they did have time to release a Christmas song in December of 2003 with I Love Christmas. I've waited the whole year through Spring, summer and autumn too Oh, but this is the season for me and you Am I crazy to hope that you want me? It only got to number 25 in the charts and the band broke up soon after. I hope my compendium of horrifying British Christmas bits hasn't scared you away from the podcast. Maybe your ears are bleeding from the frightful music creeps I played, or you're traumatised by the inhabitants of Royston Vasey, or you're dreading the night of the mothers approaching. Well, Spooktober continues as I'm planning a full-on Halloween horror episode later this month, 
as well as potentially something special on Christmas podcast day on November the 1st. It's full on Merry Britsmas from then on as two episodes apiece in November and December are coming and I hope you get in touch to let me know what you think. I'll also be having some sort of World Cup poll or something festive coming up in November online so keep your eyes and ears peeled on the socials at Merry Britsmas on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Happy blooming Christmas to you and all.